Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for listening. And if you're here for the first time, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Very quickly, before we begin, I just want to say I really enjoy hearing from you. So if you ever want to get in touch with me to either recommend interviewees or if you just want to say hi, go ahead and shoot me an email at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. Okay, we have another fun show for you today. My guest is Robert McKenney. He's the general manager of Convergence Dance and Body Center in St. Louis, Missouri, and also a prominent instructor there. And if the name of that studio sounds familiar, it's because several months ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Robert's mom, Roxanne Mayer. That was episode 35, in case you were wondering. Robert grew up around dancing and started studying it at age 16. He had also studied with a number of tango masters, including Gustavo Navera, Pablo Inza, Mariana Montes, Daniel Trenner, and many others. He has taught and performed all over the U.S. and Argentina and is also a very popular tango DJ. And with me now is Robert McKenney. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's great to be talking to you. Oh, no, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a joy to, to join the sort of awesome group of people you've interviewed. It's, a, it's nice to be included. Yeah, my, my pleasure. All right. So to jump right into things. So even though you grew up around dance, Robert, so did you naturally gravitate towards it as a child or did it take some coaxing? Oh, it took no coaxing, but I totally hated it for a very long time. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I, w- I was it was something that old people did. Uh, the <laughs> thoughts of a of a 12 year old boy whose mom's a dance teacher. And then when I was 14 she brought nick jones in from denver when he was very young Mm -hmm. and i saw him dance tango to not led zeppelin but some other 80s 80s metal hair band that was just spectacular and i was like wow young people do this and they can dance to good music (laughs) awesome i was very very stoked and um and totally hooked from that on wow wow so what was the first dance you tried was it argentine tango it wasn't. I did some. Uh, I did salsa first. I did salsa rueda, the casino, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was really fun. And that had energy. That was energetic. But I really did that just because of the community. My mom and all of her friends were, you know, calling moves and changing partners and moving and laughing and, and having fun. And um, and I wanted to be part of that circle, having fun and laughing. Mm. And um, they just sold me on how fun dancing could be. So. Mm. Great. Yeah. So when Nick Jones made that impression of tango and when you first tried Argentine tango, what did you think of it? Um, I thought it was really slow compared to salsa and swing. But I once I saw him dance into blues and to, and to I can't think of the band now. It was like uh, but, uh, but Metallica. Once, once you could dance to anything, uh-huh. I saw the versatility. I was like, this is something that I should explore um, because if you can improvise and dance to anything anywhere it it would be fun to be able to do that with anyone and eventually i fell in love with traditional music as well but it was definitely something that i just the the potential creativity was was too much to pass up Ah, okay so how old were you by this time when you were starting to get into tango were you 16 16. um yeah i was 16 when she brought him in i was 14 when i started salsa and then she brought him in when i was 16 i was just enamored wow 
Yeah, and, and as a teenager, you got into tango, and it wasn't just a phase for you, because I know a lot of teenagers, they, they pick up interests and pick up and drop them. What, what made you stick with it so long, as opposed to it just being, being a phase at, at that age? My mom took me for a graduation gift. She took me to Argentina, uh, to Buenos Aires, when I was 18, for wow. six weeks. And after that, I was... I think it was it was just it was a drug, man. It was something I was curious about and interested in. And um, then I went down to Argentina and saw all of these young people dancing this mm-hmm. you know, hundred-year-old dance, doing the cabaceo, uh, mm-hmm. and, and 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 doing sort of partaking in an age that no longer that that's gone past. And it was to older music and, and people doing Tango Nuevo to Enrique Rodriguez and Desarly mm-hmm. and and I saw the Nuevo movement for 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 what it was and it wasn't just electronic tango but just this inspiring new phase of tango and it wasn't even new then it was just new for me in that context. I mean yeah. uh, Gustavo and Chicho have been dancing for a long time and, and creating that for mm-hmm. way before I started dancing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah and you got yeah, a front row seat to all that. That's great. So can, so, can you describe, describe your very first tango lesson? Ooh, I I don't know. I can. I don't remember my first tango lesson. That's a great question. Yeah, I don't remember my first tango lesson. I was assuming it was with my mom, or it was with Nick Jones in a workshop. Um, I I watched probably three hundred tango lessons before I ever took one. Okay. Um, I would. I used to take the money at the milongas for my mom. Okay. And I would. I would sit at the desk and take money and read books and listen to my music and, and just take money for them at the events. And I probably watched a bunch of them. So so when I did start, I got to go really fast and cut some corners because mm-hmm. I, I just seen people putting it together for so long. Mm-hmm. So eventually you started teaching. How, can you describe that journey? Um, yeah, I started teaching um, part-time with my mom uh, a little bit for salsa swing and tango just because it was some extra income and it was sharing something that i really loved i mean i'd been loving it i started when i was 18 teaching so when i was 14 four or five years i've been enjoying it meeting people from all over the world um i think that what attracted me to dance was just the community and the um and, and the diversity you meet um in every community but especially in tango it was a a more well-traveled group and yeah i just started teaching when i was 18 and um like a couple hours a week here and there assisting my mother. I wouldn't even call it teaching right away. It was just being an assistant and, and getting to say one or two words here and there about how I felt. Um, and then she eased me into that over four or five years until I eventually led the class and she assisted me. And we would, then we would trade equal voices half and half. And she really um, trained me by giving me 10% of the voice and then half the voice and then more of the voice and then and then scaling it back and really teaching me about moderation and in class management making sure people are dancing enough but also getting enough instruction that that they felt like they moved but not that they were lost and confused okay um, she was a, a she is a great mentor and was a um yeah, yeah. It was awesome excellent excellent is there a difference in terms of dancing style between you and your mom or are you pretty similar we're totally different now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been to Argentina now 10 times, and I went three times without her. And even when I was with her, she was very much, go have your experience. Go experience Buenos Aires. We'll dance some, and then you go and enjoy this city of 10 million people and have your own experience. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, we definitely dance differently. And, and, and even, I think that we're still evolving our dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing more more ballroom and and other dances and it's changing my posture and my alignment in a way that isn't 
a big top line. I don't think I look like a ballroom dancer now, but in a way that definitely makes it look more polished, more performance oriented and a little bit less social. Uh-huh. Now, are there videos of yourself teach of dancing when you were young that you kind of look back and, and compare with, with how you are now? I think every video I, on YouTube that there is my mom and I dancing is, is, is when I was younger. I mean, okay. there's something I five or six years ago, I think was the most recent one. So I look back at that and I go, oh man, my posture. And then, you know, I'll go take a lesson now with, with one of my teachers and I go, Robert, can you stand up some more? <laughs> so it's one of those, the, the, the thing we tell our students and the thing we always keep on hearing that the same, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so I want to change gears a little bit to uh, to turning points in, in your learning. So what's some really good or some memorable advice you've gotten from some of your own teachers, whether from your mom or from other masters that have really stuck with you? Over the yeah, years? Um, I think that Damian Lobato mm-hmm. um, gave me the most helpful. I was my second or third time in Buenos Aires, and he told me uh, I was taking workshops with Pablo Inza mm-hmm. and then with him. And then I was at Estudio D&I um, yeah. way back, like when Pablo and Donna had it and it was in their old space and okay. they had all their original teachers. Like it was not what it is today. It was uh, mm-hmm. very, it's still very cool, but it was a little more homely at their older spot. And I was just stressed out because I had three or four different teachers telling me similar things, but in different ways. And, and I was going out to me, I was taking classes three times a day. Mm-hmm going out to Milongas and then having a hard time applying everything that they were trying to teach me. Mm-hmm. And he told me uh, simply that the Milonga is for dancing and having fun and that practicas and classes are for getting better mm-hmm. and that you have to have two modes. You need to have a fun mode where you're in Milonga and you have to have a develop mode. And even when developing, it's best to pick one thing, boleos, and only work on boleos forever. Mm-hmm. And then when they, when you feel they're good enough or they're perfect, move on to the next thing and to just pick one thing because you cannot develop boleos and saccadas and single axis turns and your posture and toe lead versus heel lead. You can develop 10 things mm-hmm. all at the same time. So pick one or two things and, and get them to where you want them to be and, and move on and to be a more conscious student, to be more active in, in how you develop and don't let yourself get overwhelmed. Yeah. And that has been true for every style that, mm-hmm. that you need to think being a more active student and, and picking two or three things to develop out of the 10 that you need to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps you measure progress and develop much faster. And I think in a much happier way. Nice. Now I see, I like what you said about you have your, your development mode versus your having fun mode. Cause I think a lot of people can identify with this because sometimes when I'm having a really off night at a Malanga, I might be probably getting those modes mixed up, you know, not having, not, not separating the fun from the, the work time. So, yeah. 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 No, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I think the biggest thing is that I suddenly I was, I had four weeks left in Argentina or in mm-hmm. Buenos Aires and I was able to, and I had more fun and then I got better dances with better dancers just because you're not going to make great leaps in your tango in, in one hour, mm-hmm. but you can definitely dance your dance and, and give your energy and share your, your take on the dance mm-hmm. with everyone at any given time. But not when you're trying to dance your teacher's technique and do the teacher's moves. It has to, you have to be able to do you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert, so a lot, when working with a lot of students, 
you know, because this is a dance that, like you said, requires just a lot of work and it requires, it's sometimes kind of messy, you know, you has got to experiment. Um, but a lot of novices that whom we teach, sometimes they have these negative thoughts floating around in their head, like, oh, I'm afraid of making mistakes. I'm afraid of not having a good dance. I'm afraid my partners aren't going to like me. Um, how, how do you address that as, as a teacher? Um, it's a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of questions. Um, I think that we have to figure out what we do well, and then we have to start with that and be aware. So if you're if you're good at moving with energy, then we have to make sure that that we don't ever lose sight of that. I think we all have things we naturally do better than other things. Some people are very technical, but they lack the impulse to go. Some people are are go getters, but they don't slow down and develop their technique in a way that makes it easy to dance with them. Um, so I think it's identifying sort of your, your strong points and your weak points and then trying to play to your strengths so that when you move, you're doing things that you, you feel good about and then you'll have more confidence and you'll be more fun to dance with. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you'll have fun dancing. We don't take this journey of tango for other people. We stick with it because we really like it. So we have to make sure that there's things that we like about our dancing that we're doing. Mm-hmm. We can't just do the things we're not good at or practicing. Right. Um, otherwise, I think we don't have as much fun. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. you're good at good double down. Double down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so uh, moving a little on now to, uh, to community. So, Robert, so Robert, what are some good ways for advanced students to help beginner students, in your opinion? Oh man, I have I kind of have an agenda here. I'm not going to lie. So I think that advanced dancers, the best way to help develop community, and you don't have to be an advanced dancer. But you need to help beginners by asking them for half of a tanda. Mm. You know, ask them for a song and a half or two songs. I am lucky enough to work at a studio that does that does all kinds of stuff. Ballroom, tango, salsa, swing. And we definitely do probably two-thirds tango and one-third everything else. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's amazing how much people have more fun dancing five salsas over the course of two hours mm-hmm. instead of doing two tandas over the course of two hours. Okay. And I think that if we would just ask beginners for half of a tanda, Mm -hmm. um, then I think if everyone did that two times per night, people would stick with it longer and we would have a higher retention among beginners. Mm. You don't think you have to do a whole tanda, but I do think that if you want a community build, Mm -hmm. that you need to invest in, in their happiness because that you'll, you'll get payback. They'll stick around, they'll bring more friends, they'll bring more energy, and, and you have to figure out how to sort of uh, comp, how to balance hanging out with your friends, because you go to me long and hang out with your friends too, right. but also with community building. And mm-hmm. I think that the easiest way to do that is to ask two times a night for a half a tanda with mm-hmm. someone you don't know or someone you know is working really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if everyone did that, I think we would all, I think the retention would probably be probably twice as good as, as it is now. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And then, yeah, with the beginners who only really know a handful of steps, but if you just stick with those steps, they actually have a really fun time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and doing things that they that they feel good about. I mean, mm-hmm. a talented beginner throwing them through ganchos and baleos and cicadas when they're just learning turns, mm-hmm. just because they can get through it doesn't mean they're having fun. A lot of people are afraid they're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if you do things and push them to the edge the entire time, right. they never really felt comfortable. They feel like they got through it. Yeah. So manage, doing a dance that I think is, um, is balanced, that shows what you can do with what you're doing, but also doing material that they can, they can do nicely mm-hmm. and feel good about, I think helps as well. Yeah. 
Have you ever had anybody talk about the, the Cortina and Tonda structure ever? Not at length, but if you want to, to get into that, let's, let's hear it. I had an experiment about okay. two years ago where I had a milonga and I didn't tell anybody about it, but mm. when they came, I got rid of all of the Cortinas. Oh. And I played, I still played a milonga where I played four Desarlis, tangos, three Biagi valses. And, mm. I, and I still played a tonda structure. I just got rid of the Cortinas. Okay. And my thought was that people could ask someone for one or two or seven songs. Mm-hmm. And because of, there wasn't a Cortina that told everyone to get off the floor and mm. to restart, that more people would ask the beginners. Oh. And it was an experiment that I tried, and it failed miserably because all of the intermediate dancers that showed up mm-hmm. were angry there were no cortinas. <laughs> and and, and the, the curveball, they just they didn't they didn't respond well to it. Um, oh. But I think that if we're gonna community build, we have to get people more involved. And if a lot of times you have advanced beginners mm-hmm. who know that it's supposed to be a whole tanda, or there there becomes this responsibility when someone's a little more experience that you're supposed to do a whole tanda or most of it mm-hmm. and asking someone for just the the last song or two uh it's it's almost i don't know there's there's a bad rap i think sometimes on that yeah, so yeah. i think that my i had an experiment i tried that and it, and it hasn't worked so i was wondering if someone had ever had that told you about that and had tried that i i don't, I, think, I don't so. think so but that's but a really, that's a really interesting, interesting experiment, experiment. I, I, I like like uh, i like, I like people, people try something, try something different. different sometimes, sometimes it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't but, but, we, but we, we learn we learn something from it yeah. 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 Okay. So sticking with communities, Robert, so you've visited many, you've taught in, in many places. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the communities that have made a really good impression on you, what, what are some of the things they, the, some of the good qualities they all have in common? The communities that leave the biggest impression are the ones that I think are the friendliest. Okay. I mean, I've been to, I've gone to New York as a to, to learn and to have fun. And I've been to Chicago. I taught there uh, mm. once or twice as well. But I mean, big cities, ha- what they offer is a lot of people, but mm. not necessarily as much friendliness in the mm. sense that there's just so many people. And it's so hard to see all of your friends, much less greet all the new people, the out-of-towners, the beginners. I think right. that it, it's really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it's nice when you can walk into a place and feel like, you're at home and that smaller to middle-sized communities have that ability. That being said, I think it's something we naturally outgrow and it's not a bad thing when there's 150 people in the room, you can't say hi to everyone. And that's not necessarily a bad thing either. So that's not to say that big communities aren't friendly. It's just that when there's that many people, it's a fact of life. You can't say hello to everyone. Mm -hmm. But I, I liked going everywhere. And and I, I, I always think of things as an organizer of, I want people to come and get whatever experience they want. Mm-hmm. Whether it's drinking a bottle of wine with their best friend and dancing two tandas mm-hmm. or dancing 35 tandas. I want to enable every experience for every person. Mm-hmm. And um, I find that medium-sized communities get the, give you the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for medium to small size communities, I wonder if you have any thoughts on this. But they, I, what I keep hearing from them is they, they're struggling to recruit a lot of young people, getting, getting younger folks interested. Uh, yeah. You, you have any thoughts on or possible strategies on, on how to recruit young people? I mean, I've tried a couple things with, with medium amounts of success, but I think the problem with young, we'll say like 30 and under, I'm going to say give that number, okay. is that a lot of times they're finishing school or they're just developing their career 
and they still have a relatively large social network from college when they graduated, things like that. So mm -hmm. making time for new hobbies when you're just starting your career, you're doing more grunt work, is, it's hard. So what we have to do, I think, is make the events and make the classes a little more relaxed, a little more loose, and not quite so serious, so that they think, oh, I can come and have a drink and dance a little bit and leave. And, and the perception I get from other people, like in salsa and swing, and, and from younger people as they go, well, that tango is just so serious. <laughs> and I think that like the tanda structure really does make it more intense. Mm -hmm. It's four songs and you connect and you're holding each other and you're in proximity for, for 10 to 12 minutes. And it's a, it's not necessarily romantic, but it's a very intense thing. Yeah. And some people really want something chill and lighthearted and quick. Mm -hmm. um, so that was why I tried that uh, experiment of, of getting rid of the cortinas, yeah. still having tandas for the purists, but having no cortinas so they could ask for one or two songs and there wasn't a mass exodus of the dance floor right. so you you could you could leave and, and enter at your own pace and right. um, and right. like i said that had very mixed results but how do we make it more lighthearted? i think that's the question okay. um you have to make it accessible and 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 yeah. not stressful and not serious yeah making it not stressful and not serious because you got plenty of seriousness and stress in life why why do that why add to that in your leisure time right exactly <laughs> yeah Okay, Robert, so as a teacher with all of your experience, what have you learned from some of your own students? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that's just, I mean, I would just like, I'd like to say most of my things. I mean, I've learned a lot of, a lot of technique and patterns and moves and, 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 and ways to improvise for my teachers, but my students teach me mostly what I think what I just said is to, to keep it relaxed and to keep it fun. You have to balance the hard work of developing beautiful tango mm -hmm. with the inspiring, simple, fun nature that it's supposed to be fun to learn. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be stressful. And, what, and mostly in private lessons, that's it's easier to do or it's easier to find that balance of sort of intensity to, to, um, to being relaxed or, or chill. It's easier to find that balance in a private lesson. Yeah. Group classes have a different pace. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think, where... We go from intense to comic to comic relief, yeah. back to intense, back to comic relief, and that's how we find balance. But um, privately, I think you you get to really meet people and, and learn what their life experiences, and they go, no, no, go travel, go see the world. Or some people are like, no, 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 um, you know, you want to do certain things. And I think that it's fun to the people that are doing tango have have traveled and seen the world and. You know, I've learned restaurants to go visit and eat at when I'm in Istanbul. Haven't oh. been there yet. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I mean, I learn, I learn about the world from my, from my students. Yeah. Um, and I share my experience from Argentina with them. And it's, yeah. uh, it's a very beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Swapping stories. That's a really good way to, to connect. To yeah. It's fun. much, much, much more eloquent. Yeah. Okay. On a more technical level, Robert, how, how do you personally introduce the concept of musicality to uh, to beginners or to people who are a little bit newer to, to tango oh man um yeah it's a huge lots of layers in, in that in musicality but what's, yeah what's method <laughs> i think most people hear the melody or the lyrical side of it mm -hmm. or they hear the rhythmic side of it mm -hmm. and i try to encourage people to do walks and amages and corridos things like that mm -hmm. and if they're doing rhythmic stuff yeah. and if they're doing, if they're, if they hear the more lyrical or melodic side of the dance, the big, the big disarly strings or the, or the, the big, the big 
character voices mm -hmm. than to try and do halftime ochos. That way you're that way you're slowing it down and not dancing yeah. single time. Mm -hmm. I think that when we're learning, we, we make everything uniform. Mm -hmm. All of our steps are medium sized. Most of our walks and kicks and everything are at single time speed. Mm -hmm. And we, we it makes it easier to process and to see visually. But it's not as dynamic. So encouraging people to use pauses um, and to use different rhythms, even when it's not necessarily musical, mm -hmm. makes for a more diverse dance. Yeah. And then when they're comfortable with that dance, you just have to hope that they hear the music afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I try to encourage them to use different speeds, different rhythms, different paces first. Mm -hmm. That way they're used to moving and being dynamic in that way. And then once that's not difficult for them, you just have to hope they hear the music. And, mm -hmm. and if not, then I try to teach them about the music when they're not dancing to it. Because you don't just be musical. I think you have to develop technique that's dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then you have to develop an ear to understand when the next phrase is coming in, the transition from the violin to the singer in the melody, mm -hmm. or from the bandanion to the piano on the rhythm. And you can teach them how the music's put together as well. But I think developing both at the same time, I think is an impossible task for for even an advanced dancer. Yeah, so many yeah, layers, layers to that, to that, to that, concept. To that concept. It's great. It's great. Um, so yeah, foundation technique, and then and then um, and, and 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 diverse rhythm, mm -hmm. and then after that, hopefully you develop an ear, and then they can put the pieces together on their own. Otherwise, you're just teaching them choreography, and, and that's not helping them become a great social dancer. Right. Right. Yeah. So speaking of music, you are quite a well-known tango DJ, Robert. So how did you become interested in DJing? <laughs> um, I think that's what happens to every advanced dancer in a in a small to medium-sized community. Mm -hmm. I think that you get bored and you look for a new way to enjoy something that you love more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And um, I got I got tired of dancing with the same people to the same songs that other people are playing. Mm -hmm. So DJing let me play the music I wanted to play to dance with those people. And it started off as a way for me to sort of pick the music to, to dance with the people I wanted to and to sort of give me a, a not an elevated status, but a, a it gave me it gave me a bigger role as as part of an organizer, you know. And it was fun to feel more to feel like I was part of the party more. Mm -hmm. And then I just fell in love with the music after that and nice. danced even less. That was something <laughs> where you know I bought thirty books, most of them in Spanish, and read the read the history of the orchestras. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and scoured the internet for places and, and both. And um, it's just one of those that I fell in love with the history of the dance because the history of the dance, I think is always behind the history of the music. Mm -hmm. The music the music made changes and developed ahead of the dance. Yeah, yeah. And I just fell in love with the history of, of tango culture. And that's mm -hmm. really, I think starts with, with the city and the music before the dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if yeah, you read about, about the biographies, biographies of these, of these early, early composers, composers in the Golden, in the golden age, age, they've got, they've got some, some really fascinating fun. stories, too. It's almost just yeah. as exciting as the dance itself. Yeah, I mean, it is just as exciting. It's yeah. just not nearly as fun. It's more fun to do with other people. So yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so I know earlier, Robert, you mentioned that, you know, even though you've danced for so long, your dance is still evolving. So what are some things you do to, to stay excited about tango? Some of it's just traveling. Uh, it used to be that I would travel and go to festivals mm -hmm. and, and, and be inspired by master teachers or even, or even just talented, promising, upcoming people. 
uh, just clever dancers. I went there. I used to, and then I quit going to festivals because I realized that two festivals or three festivals is the price of four weeks in Argentina. Mm. And I was like, wow, if I have to pick between a year of going to festivals or six weeks in Argentina, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Argentina. Yeah. Uh, and then that enough much time. So now, I mean, now I just do other dances and I try to dance to non-tango music because that makes me, that makes me think in a different way. You know, when I dance to Disarly now, or if I dance to Biagi, it, it sets a mood and energy that isn't creative in an athletic way. Okay. Whereas if I listen to Bob Marley and dance to that, then I get creative in a funky, athletic, more nuevo way. Mm. Um, so it makes me want to drop my hip and change my shapes and play. Whereas if I'm dancing to Pugliese, Disarly, all that kind of stuff, I... I want to do more traditional shapes. I want to mm-hmm. embrace the follower more. I do more close embrace than open embrace, less soltadas. Um, so I try and just dance to all types of music. Um, and then it helps me develop new material or new shapes in the same material. And then I take that back to more traditional music because that's really what I prefer to dance to. That you have to figure out how to trick your brain into being creative. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the that's the that's the hard part about staying inspired, especially mm-hmm. if you're not traveling and, and seeing more people. That being said, I think YouTube the video quality improving so much over the last decade, yeah, and yeah. YouTube are becoming a much better resource because you can watch amazing dancers and mm-hmm. almost HD, and it's yeah. not this blurry thing where you can't see feet and you can't <laughs> see you can see how clever they really are. Yeah, like yeah. suddenly that change of direction that's in parallel system. Wait a minute. That's how that gancho works. Yeah, and then yeah. you build off of that. And it's one of those that um, that, that I think is, has really helped me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's something new that you've learned recently, maybe in the last few months or so? In the last few months, um, I've really been working much more on simplifying my, my technique and trying to be consistent. So I've been working a lot on posture. Some of that's because I've been doing uh, a lot of ballroom as well. But uh but, um, and then try, I'm trying to, I've, I've switched to taking toe leads instead of heel leads. Okay. I'm just trying that out for a little while. Okay. Um, I think it looks nicer. There's less energy. Mm-hmm. So like faster movements, there's less energy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like driving with a parking brake on sometimes um, <laughs> yeah. where, where that is kind of, it's not always nice, but mm-hmm. some of the lines that I'm finding in my body and in my partner's bodies are different mm-hmm. in a way that I really, I think is, is quite, quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of what I've been developing lately. Hasn't been material or musicality. It's been more of playing with artistry of straight legs, not a locked knee because I have hyperextension, but uh, oh. but straight legs and playing with that. Yeah, yeah, nice. All right, Robert. So what are some future projects you're working on? Um, the I want to run a musicality seminar, and this mm. is in my in my town with another another local DJ, uh, Rick Barbarash. Um, him and I are gonna put something together with everyone so we're in the process of putting together a powerpoint i'm gonna do a a history of the of the top seven orchestras that you hear Mm -hmm. um and some sort of theory of or or common composition of most music in four four time and um and then that kind of stuff and he's gonna do some nuevo stuff and he's it's gonna be that's kind of something i'm working on because i think that people plateau and a lot of times they don't want to learn more advanced tricks Mm. they just want to develop and musicality is where that's at in developing musicality developing an ear for music while you're dancing is much harder than developing an ear for the music while not 
So um, trying to find new ways to sort of connect with the community and, and our students. Um, and, and maybe this will be the way that I can help them become more musical when there's not the stress of being clever and making sure that they, they're connecting to their partner. Maybe that will help them develop more musicality without the stress of technique, timing, and all of that. Just hearing it first, visualizing it. Okay. Okay. Nice. All right. So, all right, Robert, so Robert, where do we, where do we find, find out more about you online? online? Um, you can uh, go to our website, uh, www.convergencedbc.com. Okay. Um, that's uh, where Roxanne, my mother, she's amazing as well. Yeah. But uh, that's where all of our information is. I'm going to hopefully start traveling again soon. I haven't done that in a while. I've been mm. busy rock climbing in my free time and not right. traveling and teaching as much. So, mm. so I've, been, I've been bad. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those I love to, I love to travel and DJ um, and, and teach some. So I need to try to do that again quarterly, something just to sort of stay inspired because yeah. meeting other communities um, helps, helps keep you inspired sometimes. Mm. The, sometimes revisiting the same thing with new people uh, Re- reignite that that passion you have mm, nice yeah just quickly does does rock climbing does do you find that adding anything to your tango dancing at all <laughs> um i find that people plateau in their dancing mm-hmm. and it's rarely because they don't love their tango mm-hmm. it's a lot of times because the ratio of strength to flexibility is and to connection is out of whack. Mm. It's not in sync. And climbing is a very nice way to keep in balance your strength to weight ratio. Mm. Um, so is yoga, Pilates, all of that kind of stuff, gyrotonic. So I think that for me, it's the it's a form that I'll stretch when I do climbing, and it keeps all that in balance. So it really helps all of my dancing, in addition to just being fun and problem solving and, and having a good time. Nice. Okay, Robert. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun, and I think the the audience will really appreciate what you what you have to say. Great. Well, thank you, Joe. It was really fun talking to you, and hopefully, I can I can make it up there and, and dance up there sometime. Yeah. I have family family nearby, so okay. hopefully, I can make swing by and dance. Yeah, yeah. It'd be great to meet you and your mom sometime in person. Awesome. Well, right. uh, we look forward to maybe maybe this November. We'll okay. see. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep in touch. Awesome. Have a great one. Thank you. you. Too. Bye. Okay, another great conversation. And wow, imagine growing up around dance and getting hooked on tango at such a young age. So we talked about a number of things, but one thing that stuck out to me was Robert's approach to developing our tango in that there's development time and fun time. And being at a milonga is supposed to be fun time. You don't want your mind in classroom mode when you're dancing socially. I've done that many times and it's not good. And I also liked how Robert said that we shouldn't be so darn serious with our tango. Yes, we need to work hard during lessons and practicas, but taking something we love seriously does not mean we have to behave in a serious, uptight manner. It's okay to smile, laugh, and even crack a few jokes every now and then. And when it comes to community, I appreciated Robert's advice on dancing half a tanda with beginners, to get to know them, to make them feel welcome. And I like how he pointed out that it's important not to scare them. We just need to do simple steps with beginners, make them feel like they've danced with you, and not as though they survived dancing with you. And he also liked how Robert encouraged us to be more structured in our individual practice. 
There's no doubt many things about our dancing that we want to improve, but we can only work on a few at a time. For instance, if we want to work on boleos or back sacadas, then let's zero in on boleos and those back sacadas until we feel we've really improved them. Okay, lots of good stuff. Thank you again, Robert, for your time, for sharing your thoughts, and for telling us about your experiences. And as always, thank you, all you listeners out there. I really appreciate your support. And if you're enjoying the show, this is the part where I ask you to take a few seconds to head on over to SoundCloud, iTunes, or whichever podcasting platform you're using. Click the subscribe button and leave a good rating and review. That helps out a lot. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.